0: Welcome to the How to Health podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm so honored to have Dr. Renee Dufault. And how are you doing today, Dr. Renee? I'm great, Dr. Rorthe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you're in beautiful Hawaii, and um, you know you wrote a book I came across um, it's called Unsafe at Any Meal, and I would really encourage any of the listeners who really care about their health that you really should pay attention to what, this conversation today because it's going to be very important that you understand what's in our food, the ingredients, how we prepare our food, and uh, but I'm going to let Dr. Dufo explain all that, but let's talk a little bit about her and why she is an expert and why you should listen. Um, she earned her BS degree in Environmental Policy Analysis and Planning at the University of California, Davis, and got her doctorate in health education. By the way, she is a vet, so thank you for your service. She served in guests in the Army and the Navy with the Marines, Mm -hmm. and so um, she also worked as an environmental health officer for the National Institutes of Health, the EPA, and the FDA, the Food or Drug Administration. And then due to circumstances, she became an FDA whistleblower, and that is what we're gonna talk about. So in 2010, she founded the Food Ingredient and Health Research Institute, Um, You can find that at foodingredient in foodingredients.info, and then she's you know with her book she's had amazing reviews. You guys, you can see it. Sorry about the glare. Um, Just really incredible. But we're gonna first just get to learn a little bit about you, Um, Dr. Fo. If you don't mind, just tell us. You know how did you become interested in what you do at the laboratory and food and just I mean it's such a unique place. Not a lot of people know people who do what you've done. So. How did that all start?
1: Well, when I was at the FDA, my job was to decommission laboratories that the government had used for years. And FDA had a number of laboratories. I had done the same thing for EPA. So my, my job was primarily doing cleanup work, cleaning up contaminated properties. And we kept finding mercury in uh, plumbing systems. And we, went, we wondered how it got there. And so then, you know, back in the olden days, uh, researchers just put everything down the drain because that's what they did. It was before we had regulations for hazardous waste disposal, proper disposal. And so uh, we wondered where, these, uh, where the mercury came from. Well, after doing some research and, and there were other folks out there who had been exploring why mercury comes out of uh, plumbing systems and and uh, they there was a study done with from an organization called Masco up in Massachusetts, and they had uh, they had been they were associated with Harvard, and they had the hospitals in Boston were were discharging effluent, meaning wastewater, with mercury. That was there was so much mercury in that wastewater they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. So Masco had done an analysis of all these different chemicals used by hospitals and they found mercury in many of them and so they put up a database on their website explaining you know the, the amounts of mercury and all these different chemicals and so once the hospitals stopped using specific product then they were able the mercury levels went down and they were able to reduce their uh levels of inorganic mercury and in effluent which is wastewater discharge so um I, you know, I was looking at these chemicals and I thought, wow, you know, some of these are used for, for in food processing, you know, food manufacturing. So, um, I I was very interested in tracking mercury, the mercury cycle, you know, where where, we mine it and then where does it go from there? And, uh, I was preparing a, a PowerPoint presentation for a USGS, uh, conference and doing an investigation. And I found that, uh, uh, mercury was uh, found in chlorine chemicals, and uh, that you make chlorine using mercury. And and so then I found out, you know, and I had colleagues at EPA that sort of pushed me in the right direction, and it turned out there was missing chlorine from these chlorine plants because they used so many tons of mercury every year, and, they, and it was missing. They couldn't figure out where it went. So... Some of it landed in their product. In fact, uh, there was one uh, chlorine manufacturing plant that had tra- traced and tracked all their missing mercury, so they filed a report, and it was available to the public. So I got my hands on that, and then I thought, well, holy cow, these specific—you know—any chemicals coming from this particular process that that are, is used in food and pharmaceutical manufacturing, there's—you know—there's a potential for trace amounts of mercury in the, in those products that we either mm-hmm. eat or, you know, take as medicine. And, uh, so what this particular chemical company had a webpage, which they're not around anymore, but, uh, you know, under that name mm-hmm. and it said their largest consumer of their mercury grade caustic soda, which is sodium hydroxide was the high fructose corn syrup corn plant mm-hmm. industry. And also, uh, certain food colors and, and uh, other types of, uh, pharmaceutical industry. And so I thought, wow, I need to start investigating, you know, is there any mercury in high fructose corn syrup? And I contract, I, I contacted at that time, there was only one organic high fructose corn syrup maker in the country. He's he, they don't exist anymore. He got out of business, but, um, he, he was very frank, and he said, yeah, you know, we prefer the mercury-grade caustic soda when we make our uh, organic high-fructose corn syrup because it, in, it enhances product shelf life. Hmm. What does that mean? Well, it means that, you know, mercury has been used for, for hundreds of years to kill mold and bacteria because it's one of the most toxic elements in the periodic table, okay? So... So, you know, he, I I, I thought, wow, you know, this is serious because, you know, exposure over time, you, you know, if your body isn't able to excrete it, then you're going to have a buildup mm-hmm. and it could be a, a factor in all kinds of different diseases. So I asked an FDA field investigator, because I was at FDA headquarters under the commissioner's office, and I asked a field investigator to go out and collect samples of high fructose corn syrup from different corn refiners and and we you know I had them sent to different places because back in those days, to be able to actually detect inorganic mercury in anything type of media, it was still a challenge, mm-hmm. so I sent them to different places, University of California, my alma mater, and you know uh, the NIST National Institute for Standards and Technology and, and Armed Forces Radiobiology Research Institute we we did some work there on them and no matter who did the analysis everybody found trace amounts of inorganic mercury and so NIST uh, actually wrote a report and so University of California professors and myself we presented our findings at Uh, a meeting I had asked for at the Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition, which is the group that handles food ingredients at at FDA. And uh, and we presented our findings, and they said that I had to stop investigating and that it wasn't my job and that they would look into it. Well, nothing ever happened. There was no looking into it. Nothing ever came out. And so that's when I decided that I would have to retire early. So that because I I was under the Uniform Code of Military Justice as a uh, public health service officer in uniform, and you have to obey orders or they will put you in jail. So I had to do everything legally, you know, mm. to, in order to blow the whistle. It had to be legal, and uh, so I followed the rules. and And when I retired, I there were samples left over from the original batch that we got. I had I had permission to send them to a uh, University of Wisconsin, and uh, they they analyzed that batch of samples. We knew what we'd find, but you know, we, we analyzed them after two thousand and eight when I retired, and then we published our our report. And by then, I had really done research on uh, mercury metabolism, and you know, uh, created a model for how how uh, these levels would Uh, create opportunities for disease and that paper that was a different paper and that was published in behavioral and brain functions and now it's people are following it they're citing it so all over the world researchers are looking at the role of inorganic mercury in in autism uh, um, alzheimer's neurological uh, diseases and and so i don't really have to do anything else one researcher called me from Australia. And he said, after he read that one article and he said, you don't have to do anything else, your contribution, you know? So, right. so we have all these, these uh, uh, you know, so-called research groups all over the U S that are completely ignoring this problem mm-hmm. that now we know, cause follow-up research, we've learned that the higher your inorganic blood mercury levels, the higher your glucose. So it's a factor in the development of diabetes. It's a factor in the development of heart disease so you know and of course uh, autism and uh, you know so so we know this and researchers all over the world are are, are verifying you know that these uh, um, exposures from food are, are are a factor in the d- disease not to say that it causes disease but it's a factor because a nothing a no single cause for any disease because mm-hmm. you you know, our bodies are so different, we're all genetically different, and and it would just be a contributing factor, so that's just, you know, that's how I got into it.
0: That is, it's an incredible story, so first of all, what were your, when someone tells you that at that meeting that you had called, and you present these, like, amazing findings, and you're thinking, I'm serving the public, I'm here to protect the public, that is what we're here to do, and they tell you basically to stop what you're doing halt all proceedings what was going through your mind i'm like how do you contain yourself because i know i would have had difficulty well, i'm impressed
1: i was absolutely flabbergasted wow really i mean i was i was uh amazed i couldn't believe it it's like i i i, I up until that time i really didn't you know, I took them at their word that they would look into it, you know, I mean, but I was flabbergasted. I thought it had a, was a turf war. I'm at the commission office there at the food, you know, Center for Food Safety. I thought it was a turf thing. And then when it was clear that nobody was gonna follow up, and by then I, I had uh, prepared a manuscript that explained why this exposure wasn't, uh, wasn't safe. And I had sent it all over FDA to pediatricians, you know, FDA has its own, uh, you know, roster of, of physicians. And, and I got nothing but positive feedback. Glad you're doing this, it's great, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, uh, oh, we went to publish, we, you know, and I was told I couldn't, uh, oh, I, I can't remember if they said we couldn't, oh yeah, that's right. They said, they said you can't use these results we were we were citing the national institute and in standards and technology report it was a hard copy report mm-hmm. and they told me we couldn't use those results so therefore we couldn't publish that was another thing that happened they didn't they didn't want then i knew at that point that they really wanted to suppress the information and uh then that's that to me that was like Uh, What can you say? What do you say to that? that, Because you're a public (sighs) health service officer and your mission is public health. And uh, it was, yeah, then it really, you know, I really needed to get my paperwork in to retire and, you know, do all of that to just to, I retired early at at a cost, uh, financial cost, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I lost 10 years worth of pension Benefits and so on uh, by retiring early, and I've never really gained. You know, there's been no gain, no financial gain. Uh, it's been, uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. But the 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 purpose was to get the word out so that the public could be informed. And you know what? If other countries are doing the carrying out the research and they're they're they're, they're moving it forward. Then i you know I feel good about that because right. the u s can continue to to wallow in their disease and their and their strategies for you know treating disease as opposed to preventing it right and they can just continue to become sicker and sicker and you know uh if they don't want to listen they don't want to listen and mm-hmm. and the, the problem is the corporations uh are pretty much pulling the strings you know they run the government and uh if anybody tells you they don't then they're not being honest.
0: That's or how the, it is. Yeah, or they're completely ignorant. Yeah. So do, what do you think was the inhibiting factors? Like, why do you think they were so adamant? Was there certain types of industry that you feel were- Oh yeah,
1: corn when we came out with the article and published, hired the Chlorine Institute and the Corn Refiners Association, they both came out against, uh, you know, against our findings. Wow, And, uh, you know, but Canadian scientists, you know, we published in 2008, Canadian scientists working for the government of Canada went out and, and got uh, products off their shelves containing corn syrup. Two years later, fresh samples, you know, our samples were 2005. They came out in 2010 after the corn refiners and the Chlorine Institute blasted our findings. And they found... Uh, levels of inorganic mercury in, in products containing these ingredients. So, you know, they didn't come out and blast Canada because, you know, uh, our country is so American centric or U S centric. They only value what's done in the U S as opposed to what everybody else is doing. Right. So, uh, you know, it's still out there. It's still happening. There's still mercury cell chloracly plants in, in North America. There's four of them. You don't hear about them anymore. Nobody's talking about them, but they're there. And uh, they're still producing these uh, mercury-grade chemicals. And I actually went to the um, Pharmacopoeia, which is the organization that is across uh, the street from FDA, where I worked. And they are the, uh, the, all the manufacturers of pharmaceuticals. They, they are members of Pharmacopoeia. Hmm. and th- I went over there because these same chemicals are used in the manufacturer of drugs, and I did a presentation for them while I was still at FDA, and they asked me to prepare a monograph for consideration for their annual meeting because they felt like, you know, somebody there thought it was an important issue. Right. And then I kind of put it on the back burner, and I, and I didn't do it right away, and then the deadline came up, and the guy from Pharmacopia contacted me and said, we need that monograph. So I prepared it. And then I never heard a word. So, you know, there are people that work in the industries that we're talking about that do care, but they, they're, they're, they're just peons. You know, they, they're not in charge of, of the big money and the profits. So, you know, they use these compounds uh, uh, that, that prevent the growth of bacteria and mold on purpose, in purposeful ways. Like for example, with, with uh, flour, bleach flour, Mm-hmm. The chlorine used to bleach flour has an allowable amount of allowable amount of inorganic mercury, and and so if you buy bleached flour, you put it on your shelf, you're not going to have any mold growth, right? Oh. But if you buy organic flour, there's no no bleached bleach in the organic flour. You have to keep it in your refrigerator to prevent mold.
0: You right. know.
1: So uh, there's just ways of, of doing things that have been done for years and years and years. And uh, it's convenient because it's, it, you can ship your products, you know, and they can stay on the shelf. And, mm-hmm. and, and there's a, you know, they're, they're not looking at the long-term uh, effects of, of chronic exposures uh, to, to these substances over time.
0: So can you explain what, because, you know, many in the audience may not understand, what is the difference between inorganic mercury, organic mercury? What what does that terminology mean exactly? Well, all it means is that with
1: organic mercury, uh, there's a methyl group uh, attached to the mercury element. A methyl group is a carbon-hydrogen compound. Mm -hmm. And... Made up of carbon and hydrogen. So when that group attaches to the inorganic mercury, then you have an organic mercury. And uh, so mercury changes uh, form. You can—it's called methyl uh, demethylation. So that group can come off the mercury, and then you're left with the inorganic mercury. And that happens in our body. So you have—you have the—you have the, uh, can be exposed to methyl mercury, and it'll be converted in your gut to mercury, inorganic mercury, and. If you have a, a leaky gut or say you consume a lot of high fructose corn syrup, and at one point Americans were consuming up to 60 pounds per year of this stuff if per individual. Right now they're saying it's less, probably 30 pounds per year. Consider that they three pounds per year of broccoli. That's a huge amount of, of bad stuff to be ingesting in your gut. So, But they've already shown that a high consumption of... Uh, high fructose corn syrup leads to leaky gut. I mean, it, it, it that's just a fact. And then, so when your gut starts leaking, then you're going to get that inorganic mercury and everything else going straight to your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And then you it's going to be carried. And in fact, we found a, a relationship between inorganic mercury in your blood and your fasting glucose. So the more you uh, have, the higher your inorganic Blood mercury, low B, and slow your glucose. So there's a direct co- connection between these, this inorganic mercury and diabetes. If mm-hmm. you're going to say that elevated glucose is is a is a risk factor for diabetes, which it is, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there's that's why I say there's more than one factor. I mean, there's so many factors mm-hmm. that play into the, the development of any disease, mm-hmm. it does, you know, whatever disease you're talking about. So many pathways and we, you know, it, it's, it's complicated and, and we can't talk about it. But, to the public. Well,
0: yeah, but the thing is as a physician, so I do lifestyle medicine as well as family medicine, I can move people to a healthy whole foods plant based diet. We'll have reversal of disease. Absolutely. So There's the no food doubt. is the food. It's the food. So yeah. regardless if they've attached, you know, you know, if we look at these food compounds, when we can get into also the pesticides and everything else that you spoke about in your right. book. So that's a whole nother. Then you thing have to- an,
1: another hit in epigenetics, which I've published in that area, and uh, you know those that article is being cited all over the world. Uh, it was a clinical epigenetics uh, article that explained why we have uh, uh, autism. And, in fact, recently we published an article in Scientific American saying why autism hits boys more than girls. And there's reasons for all of this, and people are studying them, and they, they're becoming more understandable. Mm-hmm. But, but, but the, the hits, we're talking about epigenetic hits. You have, when you have a lot of exposures to different things, these are called hits. Hits on your uh, and it impacts the way your genes behave. Mm-hmm. And as soon as your uh, you, your genes are not uh, allowing the the production of certain proteins, say you say you're having uh, your the protein you need to to uh, to excrete heavy metals isn't working right because your diet doesn't provide enough zinc, or you know you have too much mercury exposure, or you know whatever then that's going to lead to the accumulation of the, of the um, heavy metal. Or then with the pesticides, there's a gene that's involved in, uh, uh, that must be uh, turned on to be able to, to produce an enzyme that you have to have to, to be able to break down the most common organophosphate pesticides. And we know that, there, that our diet impacts that gene. So, uh, you know, if that gene isn't working right, then you're not gonna be able to excrete the pesticides. So, I mean, there's this is like another hit, another hit on your system. So, uh, it's all interrelated. You can't just stop one thing. You can't just stop drinking soda and then you're mm-hmm. gonna be better, no. You have to change and have a whole foods diet. You've gotta have lots of water, uh, organic food, Um, Mm -hmm. there's, there's just one path as far as, uh, you know, achieving for as long as possible, because we're all going to break down eventually, you know, we're born to die, we all, we're all going to die of something, right, but uh, in terms to have the longest, healthiest lifespan, then there's only really one path.
0: Yeah, and we can accelerate the breakdown, right, so that's, I'm sure there's telomeres, but just to explain to everyone what epigenetics is, could you explain, how the environment of the genes, even in, even as you were in the womb of your mother's womb, how that can affect your long term. How can you explain what that means? Because and then explain how the genes actually encode all these proteins. And people go, it's funny how people are so focused on it's a very reductionist type of view, right? We look at one little tiny thing at a time and thinking, oh, that's the cause of this and that's the cause of that, but we can't. We need to take a whole um, whole approach, right? Yeah, the entire the the entire orchestra of what's going on in someone's life and the environmental bit. Can you explain to them what epigenetics means exactly? Okay, epigenetics
1: is is how genes turn on and off. That's it in a nutshell. And so these methyl groups, uh, they can turn genes on or they can turn genes off. And methyl groups, actually, you you can get methyl groups from the diet. There's certain foods that are high in methyl groups. You gotta have enough methyl groups. And all the chronic diseases, uh, diabetes, uh, you know, heart disease—they're associated with demethylation and undermethylation, not having enough methyl groups. Okay, hmm. and so that it, 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 we don't know a lot. I mean, we don't really know. It's a new field. Uh, epigenetics just came into being uh, after they—they've found out the human genome uh, back in two thousand. Around there is when Craig Ventner uh, broke the code uh, then after that, when they figured out, oh we we can see what the genes are, but w- this still doesn't answer why we have disease so then they started looking beyond that, and they found that you know well, genes have to turn on and off, and if we're if if our environment is is uh, you know is in, is impacting this process, then we're not going to have the proteins, uh, you know, I mean, you have, you have oncogenes, uh, genes that cause cancer, right? So, so that's not a gene you want to have turned on. Okay. <laughs> so that gene is going to turn on if your are if your diet is, is not good. And, uh, or if you're exposed to uh, compounds in the environment that are carcinogenic as in car- causing cancer. So mm-hmm. uh it's kind of complicated, but that's what it comes down to in in
0: layman's terms. So even the foods also too, for example, what I ate with my three kids impacted their long-term health because they were born with genes turned on, gene turned off, you know, setting them up for, you know, maybe early, right. Metabolism,
1: you inherit uh, when your mother is, whatever her diet is when you're in the womb, then this metabolism that she's, uh, that 's happening is going to pass on to the child, and like we already know that uh uh if a child is born from two parents with diabetes, that child will be will be born with insulin resistance okay so you 're passing on your metabolism already, and uh <clears throat> that's just crucial uh and it's crucial that we have health education in k through twelve. That mm-hmm. should be a priority. That should be as important as reading. You oh,
0: know, yeah,
1: you integrate health education with reading and uh and even math. And if we don't have health education, we don't even have culinary. We don't have cooking anymore in high schools. Very few people, uh, schools have cooking. So, and and uh, the, the, the health education is focused on, uh, you know, not doing drugs and not smoking and this and that, but they don't really do anything on tr- nutrition. Very little is done on nutrition. And that's where, that's what we need to be doing is, is, is nutrition and exercise. And uh, in addition to, you know, staying away from drugs and alcohol, because it's not just the drugs and the alcohol that impact birth outcomes or the smoking or the cigarettes. It's the food that we're eating. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is uh Clear now, through right. the studies of epigenetics. So, absolutely. if you can pass on your metabolism, or you know, then you're you're setting your child up for obesity before they're even born.
0: Frankly, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And I mean, because it, I remember because um, it's family medicine, so I see from newborn through. I think my oldest patient I've ever had is 106. So, um, what was interesting is I had a six month old that was way outside the high upper limit of the growth scale and not necessarily in height but in weight. I mean this kid was at six months, she was being breastfed you know and hadn't even been introduced food yet. Um I was like, what is going on? But it and you look at the parents, what they're consuming, what mom ate when she was pregnant, those type of things. And really things started clicking. So that is a it's a it's a perfect real world example of epigenetics. And the other thing we have to think about is people like, well, I don't have kids. I'm not going to worry about, oh, yeah, you do. Who do you think is mm-hmm. going to be paying your social security taxes and right. keeping this country running when you're old and decrepit and can't? So, yeah. you know, who's going to be our new lawyers and our new doctors and our new magistrates and our new everything? Or, you know, who's going who's to take care of this as a society and that we live together? So, right. um, and you mentioned talking about that in the world, too. Like, who's going to be in our armed forces? Because now, you know, we're both vets. Right. We understand that we need healthy recruits. Oh yeah, well, you, they're, they're having such trouble now
1: with uh, recruitment. I'm a member of Military Officers Association and we, we get a magazine every month. And the bottom line is uh, they can't, we, can't pr- we cannot produce the numbers of uh, Americans needed for, to serve these days. I mean, out of 10 high school students, three might be able to do the physical fitness and the, the uh, past the ASVAB, which is the the, uh, the intelligence, you know, the the, the, this, mm-hmm. the test where they determine if a person has the, the thinking skills, critical thinking and math and everything to, to do the jobs in the military. Mil- military is high tech mm-hmm. and they need educated people to serve. And we don't have we can't. They're now taking uh, people from Bangladesh. They've always taken people from the Philippines to serve, mm-hmm. and then that gives them an avenue for uh, citizenship. you know for getting American citizenship. But yeah. they're recruiting now from from Bangladesh. That's what I understand. Wow. You know, wow. I mean, and from other countries because we can't produce people that can pass the ASVAB. Three out of ten wow. Wow. Uh, high school students are might be eligible, and of those three, you know, one or one or two might go to college. Right. You know. And they're not going to do the military. Right. So
0: we're in terrible straits. And the people don't understand that. They just, they don't, well, if it doesn't affect me directly right now, let's not think about the long-term consequences. But you're, just on a side note, my husband is Filipino. His dad came through the Navy, and that's how oh. they developed citizenship. And then my husband was yeah. born here. So, that's right. um, but, you know, it's it's it is a fascinating thing to think about. We have to think outside of just, our own individual lives in what, you know, can I get this or can I do that? What's going outside in our communities, in our country? And there's many, there's, you know, I'm sure there's, there's many things to this, but there's political issues and upheavals and people are always at each other. It's outside of that. Everyone has to eat. Everyone wants to be healthy. Everyone wants everybody's children to be healthy not have to deal with chronic disease. We want to lower our chronic disease burden, the cost of it, the economic cost, the emotional cost, the physical cost. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. That is a commonality that we should all be able to agree on is that our children should be fed healthy food. Healthy food should be available at a reasonable cost without Mm -hmm. having to worry about pesticides. But that is the other thing. So can we dive a little bit into the pesticides? Have you done much as far as the industry, as far as monsanto and roundup and different things like that what is your take on the industry is and their power for us to prevent it? what should we do
1: well the problem here is uh beyond just pesticides The the problem is who owns the corporations and now we have pharmaceutical companies they're not only producing medicines but they're producing pesticides mm-hmm. so I, I guess it's almost a monopoly here. I mean, you know, when you're in a when you're in a business and say you produce a product, then it's to your benefit to try to own the supply chain. So all the materials that you need to produce your product, if you can own those materials, you know, own the production of those, then you're going to uh, reduce the cost of doing business because mm-hmm. you're not going to have to pay. You know, you don't. There's no you. You gain profit from, mm-hmm. from owning that supply chain. And so the whole focus of, uh, of our uh, bit, way of doing business is, uh, is on the bottom line. You know, you've mm-hmm. got people who want to make money and profit is the number one motivation. So you now have uh, pharmaceutical married to chemical, I think Bayer, Bayer Just bought Monsanto. Yeah. Yeah. So now yeah. we have, uh, have that dynamic. And so really, it's to their benefit. If people get sick, from eating all of the you know uh conventionally grown food with pesticides right it's their their benefit because then they can treat them with with their pharma chemicals right <laughs> we're in the supply chain now you know right. I mean really not. and if we're not we're not if we're sick then to their benefit it it increases their profit, and that's exactly what's happened so that they're really the only changes we can make you know they used to say well you can vote well yeah you can vote but yeah nowadays uh with the voting situation and the corporations and that they can put as much money they can buy candidates
0: basically oh yeah i so, i went i went to washington the answer no and i went to washington dc last year with a group of physicians because we were concerned about you know, a physician's voice in the government and how we were concerned about how physician education was proceeding and the care and the healthcare of, of human <laughs> medicine in general. But anyway, when we went and we met with a few of the congressmen, um, one of them basically said, you know, if you'd spend the money that you spend on your airline ticket to see us, um, then we actually might listen. So basically we vote you into office and I have to pay for you to listen to me. That yeah. is Mm. you know, yeah. I don't usually say words, but boy, there were words yeah. I wanted to say that day. And so yeah. I was like, well, how that's dare fact. you? How dare yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, but for me, it's just, I guess I'm idealistic and I'm always optimistic, but how dare you speak to someone like that who served this country and we voted to put you in there If you're here to serve us and yet we have right. to pay you more than your salary. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. unbelievable. So um really disheartened. So I, I, th- what I like to do now is share this message, but it's like, we actually have the power. We really do. It's in our pockets. The money we can that vote we
1: make. With our dollar. Our dollar is the vote. Yes. It so is. You buy. You choose to buy organic food. You choose to uh, grow your own food. If you're if you're growing your own food, uh, then you know. I mean, summer gardens. You can can stuff like in the olden days. Doing all of that means that's the less food you're going to buy at the store. Mm-hmm. And stores are already getting the message that consumers yeah. want better quality food. And and I remember when. Uh, I remember when Whole Foods first came out, you know, I was working for the government in uh, the D.C. area and, you know, Whole Foods, way yay. And there's only a few stores, but, but they became popular and they're now, of course, Amazon owns them. But the bottom line is they there was a need and people were recognizing they wanted better quality food. But but what happened was when when Whole Foods started getting a share of the market, then Safeway started their own brand, Organic. Mm-hmm. So they tell us, you know, everybody's telling us we're buying organic. And I, and I have to wonder, you know, it'd be nice if there was somebody who had the funding to go out and actually analyze some of these organic products and say, Hey, you know, are there pesticide residues? What, because we don't really have any watchdogs out there. Truly we don't. And, um, my organization is totally volunteer. We have absolutely no funding, and, and uh, the only funding we ever got was from the Environmental Protection Agency, and it didn't come to us. It went to a tribal college, and they had us on as a adjunct, you know, professor to to carry out the the grant, you know, and do the the clinical trials. So, uh, the bottom line is. Um, you look at what people are doing with the funding that you do give. You know, I mean, when you go, when you give to organizations, what are they doing? You know, what are are they telling the truth, or are they glossing over, or kind of doing, you know, around the around the edges? But are they actually fighting for you? And there aren't too many organizations. Some of these, uh, you know, on both sides of the aisle. I mean, what are they actually doing for this citizen to educate them and to, to to tell them the truth? Not too many are doing the truth. Right. So what I am doing in my personal life is, um, you know, I'm gardening and, and, and buying organic, local. You know, if it's local, you have a better chance of, you know, getting better quality because it doesn't have to travel far. So that there's, you know, I mean, if you can... Uh, Develop cooperatives, farming cooperatives, where you maybe, uh, and you don't want to do monocropping because that's a big problem. Just having one crop, that doesn't work. It doesn't work It, it doesn't work with the pollinators, the bees, and the butterflies. They need diversity in their diet. They need a variety of plants. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, just like we need a variety of nutrients, they need a variety of nutrients. So if you're doing monocropping, then you're not providing the pollinators with what they need. So it's right. stupid—bees to almonds, or this, or that, or blueberries, monocrops. Because you know, it's like it's not a, a sustainable system. Right. And that's what we're seeing with the decline in the bees. So I think you know, you, it's really up to us to have our gardens in the summer and to can and and because we can't rely on corporations that that are invested. They're now invested. They own a, they own our sup, sup food supply if we let them. The only right. way we can. Uh, survive at this point and have good health is to have our own gardens right or have farm co-ops in our local community where we're sharing you know maybe you grow six different things somebody else grows other things you know i mean that's the only way to do it because our system has been so corrupted
0: they right, worship absolutely. money yeah they absolutely. money yeah, yeah. It's, it's highly disturbing, and we don't think about it until someone brings that thats We're so busy and inundated with so many other things. And that's the other thing, too, right? Because people become ill, right? So now we're getting chronic disease at such an earlier age. <clears throat> I mean, oh, my
1: God. Yeah, I mean, children.
0: Type 2 diabetes was typically adult onset, and before the age of 10 is not unheard of at this point. Unfortunately, that leads them to a, a shortened lifespan, but also a life full of medications and disease and so they're so focused on their selves and their disease process and where that's leading and where what they can do nobody brings about the whole idea of disease reversal which i can talk Mm -hmm. about but also prevention in the sense of for parents but the other thing um i just wanted to mention to you is that i'm a the managing editor for a new medical journal that we're launching might be of interest to you um that um, it's coming from uh, Dr. Scott Stoll and Dan Purgeys from the Purgeys Foundation. Um, Dr. Scott Stoll started the Plantrition Project, and it's um, the International Di- Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention. So our oh. goal is to bring about for plant-based research, but other things too. Also, as far as our food, they're looking, working with the Rodale Institute, um, organic farming, and all this. So if offline you have any questions about that, I'd be happy to put you in touch with um, some folks but it's just it's a really incredible opportunity to publish these type of things but also we want to create a journal um, or or digest for the general public so we can have people speak about is and translate science you know it's into the layman terms you don't have to have a phd like you do to right. understand the science and honestly physicians are not well versed in looking at research and being able to determine is this a good quality study is this a study that warrants you know clinical application, um, or where does it do? I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, people don't even look at the conflict of interest and see, you know, should I even trust this? (laughs) Did you, did you, uh, learn from my book? I did. Actually, we just barely scratched the surface of your book. I mean, it's, it's very technical and you go into deep detail, which makes it very easy for people to understand. You did a really nice job. And I mean, but then you also give solutions, right. And that's also on your website about Mm -hmm. dietary interventions, what you should be Mm -hmm. consuming. Um, and which is what we're all, you know, in this type of movement in lifestyle medicine, or, um, really, really focused on is the food and of course, exercise and stress Mm -hmm. and all that, but it Mm -hmm. all comes together. Right. Because right. if you're well, if you feed your body well, you're less stressed, you sleep better, you have more time, you have more energy, you have more right. resources, oh, this is a very and good... Can, and you can deal with the stresses when they
1: do come exactly. without getting sick. Right. Uh, and, our, uh, and the book does come with a free online healthy diet tutorial. With yep. uh, And we also have a tutorial for teens that takes three chapters out of the book they must know. And then there's reading guides so that, you know, to help them make sure they get the take-home message for each chapter. And, of course, that every module of instruction has a video or, you know, uh, kitchen exercise, cooking, or whatever. So it's, or it's meant to help people, to bring them through a, a learning process so that by the d- time they're done with the eight weeks for adults, four weeks for teens, then they really do have a clue
0: as to what they can do to right. To- Wow. and I and that's the nice part is you break it down, right, so you break it down into the elements, so it's not so overwhelming. Because right. when people say eat health, you're like, what do I do? I thought okay, I was eating healthy. Me? What does that mean? What do yeah. I do? How do I cook this way? And it's not really much of a veer. I mean, you're still using the same cooking skills. You're just changing ingredients. a bit. little Yeah, you're changing the way you,
1: you, you've been taught to do it. Right. Uh, the reason why it, the education that I've set up, it's been tested in three clinical trials involving humans and different populations, like parents of learning disabled indigenous people who are at high risk of diabetes. And the reason why this works, and I'll tell you the secret, because since I retired, I've been teaching school, elementary through high school, different subjects, but I'm licensed in special education and science. And so I have taught literally elementary, middle school, high school, and community college. And I understand how people learn. So basically in special ed terms, <laughs> I've been ch- I, 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 the way I designed the curriculum is I chunk it which is means you give them little pieces mm-hmm. and then they build off of that. And so you have to, you know, chunk it and so that people get little pieces until it kind of all take form. And, and that's why it's um, why the, the education has worked in three clinical trials to help that the, every single group that we used, uh, they significantly decreased their consumption of processed foods and significantly mm-hmm. increased, their consumption of whole and or organic foods so um, yeah I mean it's just a matter of learning what is safe and what is not safe
0: (laughs) but then it then it goes to also right so we learn it so we have knowledge and then we know the skills but it's also community so we need others we need accessibility we need others in our community with the same belief systems working with each other to help support each other because it's easy to make a change for a couple of weeks. It's easy to fall back into old habits because these convenience foods are here. And honestly, I found that, um, the healthier eating is actually cheaper. The other thing is with whole foods with being bought out by Amazon. So they have Amazon fresh now. It's actually not that expensive to buy the organic and have it delivered. So for me, it's like
1: cheaper. It's organic
0: has never been cheaper. I mean, this is incredible for me. So, and then do you ever, um, work with the environmental working group or EWG? No, I haven't because, uh,
1: uh, first of all, these, these groups that have a lot of money, Mm -hmm. uh, They are uh, that none of them have actually were uh, reach done any reaching out to me. Mm. Uh, And I think I'm viewed as a threat because I I I do go with the truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, none of them have worked at the FDA. First of all, these are people that, you know, worked on the periphery. So they don't they don't have you know, they haven't, they're trying to earn a living in their nonprofits and, and, you know, the money goes to paying salaries and they go out and they're talking heads basically. And, right. and they might do, uh, you know, they have their dirty, uh, dozen list or whatever that they yeah. come out with, but you know what, you know, that's, that's so minute a piece. That's such a minute a piece because they're not looking at at it holistically. They're not offering consumers the whole enchilada, if you will. Right. And and you know, you have to take the holistic approach and you can't just do one thing. So if you stop buying celery or this or that because it's on the EWG's list of no no's, right, you know, then uh that's only you you know, that's not gonna save you. Right.
0: <laughs> so right. They
1: do things and, and they're and they're just like both sides of the aisle. I mean, these some of these nonprofits at both sides of the aisle, they don't want to take up their tick off the uh, powers that be because they, they have to get funding to run their operations. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I've seen nonprofits in the industry getting money from, from the big ag, big food companies. Nestle. I mean, the thing, the, the, uh, these big companies underwrite every nutrition program at every university in our country, you know? And so these people that, that run the nonprofits, they come from universities, and they—they're kind of indoctrinated. You know, they go through programs that that, that the Big Ag and Big Food are, are, uh, are basically paying for 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 their internships and this and that. That's what I see. So, mm-hmm. so the the experience of having worked at FDA, of having done environmental cleanup work and uh, toxicology, and understanding toxic substance exposure—you mm-hmm. uh, know that that's a different framework. It's a different mm. paradigm. And, yeah. and, and you look at the, the holistic approach, you come out of it with a holistic approach. Right. And so we have, we, we have, a uh, our, whatever funding we get is from individual donors and okay. we don't have any relationships with, with, big, uh, big yeah, with big with,
0: corporations.
1: Yeah. So that, um, that means that you don't get a lot of support. Your message is not heard. Right. And, uh, you know, you write a book and, and it can have ten different reviews that are excellent, five star. But unless there are people willing to carry that message, it's it's not gonna get out. I mean right. Right. You know, I think my book has sold like uh fifteen hundred copies. It's been out hmm. a year and a half, which is oh, wow. not very many.
0: Well, uh, I, that's so why I, I think if we can double that for you, at least is you guys check it out. I don't know if you can see it, but unsafe at any meal. And I'll of course put a link to where you sell it and everything in the show notes. But I mean, this, this is a really good message and you go really, I mean, you talk about everything. You have pictures of nutrition labels and you talk about the medications and the maternal aspects. And I mean, it's just on and on. And I was like, it's kind of depressing, but it's, it's the truth. Yeah. It's the <laughs> but, truth. But we need to know because that really is, you know, we're seeing a huge rise of autism and kids and people go, oh, it's because we're diagnosing it more. But really, these no, are children who don't system. function. I don't, I'm yeah. pretty sure as physicians, we had' not notice that prior yeah. to, um, I mean, it's not that there's just, we're better at diagnostics, the diagnosticians, mm-hmm. uh, I know there's more of them. Yeah, and, exactly.
1: um, we're seeing it. It's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, And it's not gloom and doom, you know, I mean, you know, sometimes the truth hurts. Yeah. Uh, You know, you set off a nuclear bomb and then people are going to get killed initially. And then those that are left are going to have radiation poisoning and then uh, difficulty conceiving or having deformed children. These are facts. Yeah. You know, so I deal in facts and hard facts that and facts are considered hard, hard facts.
0: (laughs) And. And there is a truth. And I think that's the other thing with our society. We're very, we want, well, my truth is relative to, to what I want to see or what I want to do, you know? I it's like, no, actually, the truth affects all of you. I'm like, go jump off the six-story building. I'm pretty sure gravity laws are going to be that <laughs> you're going to land and die. I mean, so these are things that are going to, you need to face. And just yeah. like, if you neglect your children, you're going to grow up with probably juvenile delinquents. I mean, right. it's a garden you have to tend. Growing mm-hmm. children. <laughs> you know, There's yes. many things you can, your truth, maybe I want to be paid to yeah. stay at home and do nothing. Well, that's just not going to happen. And
1: so. guess what? Work is hard. Work is hard. <laughs> yes, work it is. Work is hard. So facts are hard and work is hard. And, you <laughs> and guess what? You're going to die. Everybody's <laughs> going to die and that sucks, but it's true. you know. <laughs> so
0: if you can get get beyond that and just like. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. We're not going to avoid the, I mean, taxes and death, right? That's what they always said. Those are the things we can rely on. The thing is, what type of life do you want to live? And that little hyphen on your tombstone, the year you're Mm -hmm. born, the the year you leave this world, Mm -hmm. there's a world in this Mm -hmm. experiences and interactions with others. And do you want to be the one, you know, the sick parent who's dealing with diabetes and overweight and has to, you know, I knew someone who used to, you know, sit on a uh, chair in the backyard and throw his football at his kid because he couldn't get up because he weighed 500 pounds, you know, right. but then he changed diet and loses all this weight and then he's active with your children. So, I mean, th- those are just minor stories, but yeah, we choose by what we put in our mouth. We choose with our dollars, mm-hmm. how in our environment and we can get into the environment and all that stuff. Oh my goodness. But that could go on. But, um, Yes, you're right. I love it. Truth is hard. guy. you're right. I am so going to think I need to name this podcast. Truth is hard. It is hard. (laughs) And it sucks,
1: folks. But you know what? Anybody can do it. I have a friend. uh, She was in the public health service 30 years, and a beautiful woman in her 70s now. And her and her significant other were into taking supplements. And I said, you know, don't take the supplements because they're the biggest cause of liver disease. That's been established. That is a fact. And, you know, like I said, in pharmacopoeia supplements, they're all using the same chemicals. Right. And uh, I kept telling them for years, you know. And then finally she was diagnosed with liver disease. And they said, you know, her enzymes are really elevated. They said, it looks like you might need a liver transplant. So she finally started listening. God bless her. And she started reading everything. She's very intelligent. We're talking, you know, she's, she's extremely intelligent. She started reading everything. And now she finally listened everything I've said. She's listened. She's changed her diet. And now her liver enzymes are normal. Hmm. Boom. Uh-huh. She doesn't need a liver transplant. So, uh, yeah, I had a doctor who was in one of my presentations in Washington, D.C. And he said, did you know that uh, supplements cause liver disease? And I at that time, I didn't know. And I said, no, I didn't. But uh, he said, yeah, I was taking a lot of supplements. He was a physician. And he said he was diagnosed with liver disease. And then he was told by the expert that he went to that, uh, yeah, the leading cause of liver disease is supplements. So hmm. that's another thing that why the truth is so uh, is not being listened to is because you have these competing uh, manufacturers. You know, if they're not selling you... Uh, pharmaceuticals on the one end, and conventional food, and, and then oh, let's go organic. And here are some supplements. You go to any organic food store, and they're selling all the throwing all these supplements at you, and trying to right. sell you on the idea of, hey, you don't have time to fix a salad, or you know, have healthy food. Take one of these supplements. Easy peasy. Right.
0: Yes, right. what? <laughs> but that's, that's the reduction people. in cited things, right? It's people want their pills, they want it fast, and it's reducing things. So people say, yeah. Oh, I, I need a protein. I I'm sorry, but it's foods are not proteins. They're of they're a whole food. They have yeah. many things. It's not just a protein. Yeah. That's you know right. oh, I mean yeah. I hate people when they talk like that. Oh, I need to add more protein. No, you don't. I've yeah. never seen a protein deficient American unless you're yeah. an anorexic or in a burn <laughs> unit and it's seeping out of you. <laughs> Stop. So you, you might know need just some more methyl groups. Right, right. Oh, well, well, speak to us. Where do we get the methyl groups? What foods? Well, some of these very green,
1: charred, you know, the things are telling you that you need. Uh, eggs. Eggs actually have methyl groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a chart in my book. Uh, oh, yes. It provides uh, all the methyl groups. I'd have to look at it. Uh, yes. Tell you that I'd have to look at uh, that. If the... you have a, ver- a varied diet of lots of different things. Right. Then you'll get enough uh, methyl groups yeah and I'm not thirty one that subscribes just to you know like one kind of eating uh the only Mm -hmm. kind of eating I'm opposed to is a processed food diet but the rest of it you know I'm you know I'm not out there waving the vegetarian flag you know I'm just yeah
0: I am And there's reasons for obvious reasons. And there's a whole, the science behind that and yeah, I journeys. Know. So, but yeah, as you would know for sure, but yeah, it's on page um, let's see 90 for the list of the methyl yeah. groups, but these are all things like broccoli and you know, your greens, your peppers, spinach, those dark green leafies yeah. help in so many ways, your nitrates, right. your nitric oxide yeah. formation, all that stuff. So lots of good stuff here, but the key thing here is people understanding, too, as well as the processed foods, how they manufacture foods, the money, where it's coming from, why mm-hmm. we need to, to grow our own foods, support mm-hmm. local farmers, all these type of things. So
1: Right. And here's one thing, one last thing. So so people vegetarians get sick, too. Oh, yeah, they do. And the reason why is because yeah. they have processed foods. Oh, yeah. Vegetables. So, right. you know, the, the, the real uh, evil thing Excuse here me. are the. Highly processed foods, right? Absolutely, vegetarian or not, right? I'm not against you know eating plant based. I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, Either way, you know, bottom line is you got to cut those processed foods out of your diet.
0: Yeah, that's definitely the processed foods. Yeah, I tell people you can be you know, and I never really use the word vegan or vegetarian. It's more of a whole foods, plant based Mm -hmm. diet is the way I describe it. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can eat you know Oreos and drink Dr Pepper and be a vegan. Does not mean you're healthy? (laughs) Oh yeah, oh yeah. So that you know that people go, well, yeah, or they'll say, but I've seen vegans who are fat. I'm like, yeah, the, that there are fat vegans because they have food addictions just like everyone else. They just don't eat yeah. meat or meat or dairy, but they're yeah. still eating their junk food. Yeah, so, but there's so and much, and it to can it.
1: be addictive. Junk food, you know, sugar. Oh. It's addictive, or it, maybe you're not addicted to sugar, but you're addicted to, to uh, salt or, you know, the mm-hmm. crunchy nature. You know, I mean, yep. you've got to substitute, whatever it is. You, need. If you need the fizz and the bubble, then yeah. go for carbonated water and orange juice. You know, yep. mix it up, make yourself a soda. Or, you know, there's ways to substitute for everything. You know, yep. whatever it is you need. That, right. the, the palate, the palate needs certain things, and you can substitute a healthy
0: healthy alternatives absolutely and I think people forget they're like well nothing will taste the same I'd rather die than not have this I'm like well what kind of death are you looking for a death that's drawn out over 20 years of chronic illness drooling on yourself from your stroke in the nursing home or would you rather eat a little healthier and then actually live a a life full of you know vitality and thriving it's so true it's hard it's hard but true that's I know, I know it's hard, but the thing is we get older, right? So as I get closer to 50, my kids are all grown up and I'm like, I can't afford, I mean, I, I want to be around a long time for grandkids, Lord willing that, you know, and, and see these wonderful things happen to my, my children and be part of life and active. And so far I've been blessed with good health. And of course things happen. Like you said, we're all going to die. It's a hard fact. It's a hard truth. Um, but I, like I said, you know, Dr. Kim Williams, who's our editor in chief, he said he was the past president of the American college of cardiology. And he said, you know, I don't mind dying. I just don't want it to be my fault. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. That's, that is that's great. You know, I love it too. It was like, you know, I love that so much. <laughs> it's was like, yeah. I'm going to make that my motto as well, but I always give credit to Dr. Williams. But um, yeah, absolutely. The most valuable thing we can do is feed ourselves well. Absolutely. So but Dr. Default, is there anything else we should say before I go? I know I've kept you the hour that I promised, but um I would just say to the listener
1: and the viewer that it's truly up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you you can only uh control your own behavior. Yeah. You're and if you
0: absolutely have children,
1: right. I urge you to take good care of those kids because they're our future leaders.
0: And please, please, make sure they're that they're going to have a chance at being healthy, you know, and that's the one thing parents are afraid to parent in many aspects, either be it discipline, love, time, they get so stressed out, but parents it can be done, and I'm mm-hmm. always willing and able to help um, anyone who has questions about parenting and raising healthy kids and Um, I've done it three times. I've been, maybe I'm just lucky, but I think we did something right. And I had some amazing mentors in that field. So I just, again, people we're going to, we'll give, put your website and you have the free, um, course, the eight week course on how to eat healthy. And it's for teens as well. And maybe some teacher will take this up and bring it into their school, Um, you know, and maybe someone in their church groups or small groups somewhere and spread that word because that's how this is, this movement will continue to grow. Mm -hmm. And it is growing. Yeah, Margaret Mead said it would take
1: you know, I forget the saying but it's a, it's a great saying it just takes one never underestimate the power of one the power of of the one. And so, you know, you could have a book study group where you're, you know, uh right. doing a book with a nutrition program. If there are other books out there that have a nutrition program, great. And it's good and leads them to health, go for it. We got one here, it's free. Do it. Bottom line is uh take the
0: initiative to change your life right and i would hope someone too with even more media presence would hey hey you're exactly right let's take this let's take it chapter by chapter or like you said a book club i think that's a great idea yeah chapter by chapter and then learn from that discuss it how you can implement changes in your own life or do the eight-week course together Right. Um, so I think there's some fabulous, um, tools here to help people change. You don't have to do it alone. Create your no. own Facebook groups, Right. do whatever, reach out yeah. to Dr. DuFay. Yeah. DuFay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Every module of instruction that, that, uh, that's on our healthy diet tutorial has discussion questions. So in addition Perfect. to the kitchen cupboard activities, the videos, the you know, the, the, uh, actual assignments to help you understand everything, mm-hmm. you've got the discussion questions. So it's designed for a book study group, right. you know, it's designed so you could have a little group, you know, like there's AA for people that need to learn how to live one day at a time. Well, guess what? We could have, you know, maybe I should rename my book for, uh, <laughs> instead of unsafe at any, any meal, uh, uh the healthy path or something. could Well,
0: or you could have a supplement to it, right? And yeah. so, I mean, this is where social media comes in. There's almost, what, 2 billion people or something like that or close to it on Facebook alone. So mm-hmm. that's where social media presence, and that's where I found that I'm really comfortable is I like the videos and interviewing people, but I'm still a doctor. I still want to help people, right. but I, I can reach more people this avenue mm-hmm. than anyone mm-hmm. just in my own self-awareness or just, you know, so... I'm doing my, uh, hopefully my part to help you grow and I'll do everything I can to share your word. And so is there, thank you so much for your time. I know we had several <laughs> scheduling conflicts. I had a kid that broke a leg. <laughs> That's better. Um, who's healing. Oh, this is kind of interesting. So this child is 19. Well, it's a young man now, I, sh- I apologize, Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Um, but he hit a tree, um, snowboarding, double bike oh. diamond. He broke the tibia and fibula February 13th, um, seven, or he had two plates and 22 screws, just obliterated his fibula. And so I flew there over in like literally the middle of the night and got there. He's had within day nine. Now this kid eats healthy. Like I make sure it's organic where, I mean, he's, he's been preached healthy eating for a long time. (laughs) And what's been incredible. Yeah. He's 19, but his healing was so quickly, um, wow. progressing and his pain and inflammation, like he had zero pain, day nine up of that mm. type of injury. Wow. His orthopedic was like I can't believe you don't have any pain. Then this PT said, wow, your skin is healing really well. And he still has no pain. He's bearing weight now. We're just mm. seven weeks out, eight weeks out. Mm-hmm. And, half. and, um, I mean, it's just incredible. They're just, just the power of the food and healing. Granted, I understand he's young, But I've also seen young people not heal well because likely what they're consuming. That's a benefit right there. Benefit. Where's he
1: in Alaska?
0: He's in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Oh, Colorado. Yeah. He's a a University of Colorado student in Boulder. So, but yeah, that is, so people take this lesson, you know, what it's, it's our mood, it's our gut bacteria, it's. Cancer genes and epigenetics is so much. We are, there's a diet we're meant for, and it wasn't man-made processed foods. We can agree on that yeah, for sure. <laughs> or pesticides. <Absolutely. laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, thank you again, Dr. Defoe, for spending your morning with us. Yeah, I'm going to send you a hug, okay? I will. And a high five for sure. At least we can do that. People can say. <laughs> Aloha. <laughs> Aloha. Thank you.